0: Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, please. Our text is going to be Joshua 4, verses 1 through 24. The topic, Joshua retells the story of the crossing of the Jordan River with an emphasis on the stones that were taken from the riverbed. The title of our message, Everybody Must Get Stones. I didn't get that (laughs) verse one. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. Command them, saying, take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them at the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood And there they are to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. It came to pass when the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us till we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray together. Lord, what a fantastic story. Of course, we know that it is a true historical account. We're blessed for your people, Lord, who you led across that dry riverbed onto the shores of the promised land. We also want to glean from their experiences our own insight. We know that so often, Lord, the uh, true historical events of the Old Testament are types and illustrations for us that we might lock into the Christian life, and understand it a little bit more fully than we do. Take your word, empower it to our hearts. May we be more in love with Jesus than when we first came and wanting to serve and share him with others. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Question for you. How many monuments were set up the day the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River into Canaan? Well, the answer is two. You compare verse 9 with verse 20, they read like this. In verse 9, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. And then in verse 20 you read, and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. One set of 12 stones was buried by water in the riverbed. Another set of 12 stones was raised up on the riverbank. Afterwards, the Israelites found themselves walking in their new life in Canaan. Buried, raised, walking in new life. It sounds a great deal like something you read in the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 reads like this. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The crossing of the Jordan River is a true historical event that is also a type that illustrates a foundational truth of biblical Christianity. Before they could walk in their new life in Canaan, the Israelites had to understand they were buried and resurrected. Before you can walk in newness of life in Christ, you have to understand you have been buried and resurrected. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, You can't live the Christian life until you realize you were buried with Jesus. And number two, you can't live the Christian life unless you remember you were raised with Jesus. We're going to start in verse nine and look at the monument that's in the river. We're going to look at how you can't live the Christian life until you realize you were buried with Jesus. Both monuments consisted of 12 stones. One stone representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Whatever tribe you belong to, you could see one stone in each monument that represented you. Let's start with the 12 stones in the riverbed. If you were there, you would watch as the water came rushing down upon the stone representing you until it was completely buried. It was as if you were being buried under that water. It might be hard to grasp, but the Bible teaches that if you are a Christian, what happened to Jesus physically happened to you spiritually. I already quoted Romans chapter six, verse four, which said we were buried with Jesus in verses six and eight of that same chapter. You're told you were crucified with Jesus and that you died with Jesus on the cross. The Israelite looked back on a stone representing him or her that was buried. The Christian looks back upon a savior representing him or her that was crucified, dead, and buried. With that in mind, we can observe the buried monument for insight about what it means to be crucified, dead, and buried with Jesus. And so let's start again in verse 9. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. Well, obviously not. But that doesn't matter because that is not what was intended. Once the water returned, the stones could not be seen anymore except by faith. By faith, they are there to this day. The Israelite who saw them knew they were there and they passed on that testimony to subsequent generations. It's great to see. It would have been great to be on that shore to see those stones, but it's better to see by faith. Jesus once said to a doubting Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so this whole movement is a movement of faith. The stones were there. For how long? I mean, you know, there's no use going scuba diving if you ever have a chance in the Jordan River. They're gone, long gone. But we still see them by faith the way that we know Jesus was crucified and dead and buried by faith. And and, and though people sometimes say, you know, if I could see the Lord, if Jesus appeared to me, I would believe. Well, first of all, Jesus himself said it's better to believe without seeing. It's more spiritual. It's, it's more powerful. And, and there's a episode in the gospel of luke where jesus tells the story of the rich man and lazarus where the rich man is concerned about his relatives that they are going to end up in hades like he did and he says if somebody from the dead goes and talks to them they'll believe and jesus said you know they've got the law and the prophets or abraham said that excuse me they have the law and the prophets and that's enough and so the idea is that you don't always believe because you see something uh, faith is a much more powerful reason. Verse 10. So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses, uh, Moses, excuse me, had commanded all the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. Uh, Just notice how they ministered one to another. It's not really our topic this morning, but it's a great little devotional insight. The priests were faithful to stand in the midst of the Jordan so that the people could completely cross over. It was their job, it was their duty, it was their responsibility. Uh, you know, it was a, in a sense difficult holding up that ark, and, and you know, we don't know if it took an hour or half a day. It depends on how their march went and all that. But hey, this is my post, and I'm going to do this so that the people, the, probably a couple of million people with all of their possessions and livestock, can get safely across to the other side. For their part, the people hurried and crossed over. Uh, I'm sure they were excited about getting into the promised land, but also so as not to cause any extra burden for the priests. And so though you minister to others, they also minister to you. There's always mutual ministry going on or ought to be in the body of Christ. Uh, If I am serving, then I'm also being served And, and, and it helps me to not get burned out. A lot of times we, you know, we have an Elijah complex. We think, oh, I'm the only one. You know, I'm, I'm the person doing all the work. Uh, and, and yet if we're serving, there's always a blessing coming back because even if you are the person doing all the work, if you do it as unto the Lord, then the Lord is uh, giving you kudos. Hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so you can't really lose with the Lord. More often as you minister, others also minister to you. Uh, And and that should be our goal uh, to to find ways that we can minister one to another. Now, back into our text in verse 12, the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel. As Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Now, these were men, fighting men, soldiers from the tribes who had already settled the wilderness side of the Jordan River. We encountered them earlier in our studies in Joshua. On their way to the promised land, these two and a half tribes thought that the land on the wilderness side of the Jordan was sufficient. It had great grazing area for their flocks, and they wanted to raise their families there. And so they petitioned Moses... Said hey, we don't really want to go into god's promised land. We we'll be happy right here on this other side of the jordan moses got furious in the lord, you know in a righteous indignation Uh told them how awful that was They continued to press him and so moses relented Led by the lord and he said, okay if you want to settle here. I can't stop you but when your brothers go into the land You have to fight with them. And they said, okay, when that happens, all of us will go and fight. Uh, And so that's the history of these guys. And though they kept their word to cross over and help their brothers battle, we'll see in subsequent chapters when there's a numerical count of their armies, they held back most of their army to protect their own material interests on the wilderness side of the Jordan. 40,000 may seem like a lot of soldiers, but it wasn't anywhere near the majority of their fighting force. In verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests saying, Come up from the Jordan. In verse 18, and it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. And so the waters returned and the monument was buried. Even without the book of Romans to explain the deeper spiritual ramifications, I think the Israelites would have gotten the basic symbolism. Their old life of wandering in the wilderness was gone for good. They had come out of it through this impassable river, as it were. They had died to that old life and it was all being symbolized by this buried monument. They were dead and buried to that old life and had begun a new life of walking with God in the promised land. And so what a tremendous symbolic moment that was. But not every Israelite would apply that symbolism equally. The two and a half tribesmen and those they represented knew that, in fact, they would cross back over to the wilderness side of the Jordan River. Once the initial fighting was ended, they would return, in a sense, to their old way of life in the wilderness. A believer is crucified, dead, and buried with Jesus. When you read the book of Romans, Paul just says, you need to know this. If you're a Christian, since you're a Christian, God says you are crucified, dead and buried with the Lord. But that doesn't mean we always apply that to our lives. Instead of being dead to our old life, we can cross back over and live there. Now, you don't lose or forfeit your salvation. We're not talking about that. And that's not what this symbolizes. It symbolizes situations you find yourself in where you must decide if you are going to react as if you were dead or as if you had a new life in Christ. Maybe you are tempted to sin. Well, sin has no power over a dead person. It's, it's almost comical, but it, it makes the point. Let's say your problem is with alcohol. Let's say you struggle, uh, you know, you've been a drunk in the past and, and, and that's the thing that really, you know, you're just struggling with alcohol. If you were dead and they drug you into the local pub, they could bring drink after drink, all your favorite brew. And all it would do is add to your tab that you don't have to pay because you're dead. You can't drink it. You can't get drunk. You're dead. And this is the picture that the Bible wants to give you. It says, oh, wait a minute. What does it mean I'm dead in Christ? It means that I don't have to sin anymore. I am dead to sin. Sin doesn't have any power over me anymore because I'm a dead man. I'm a dead drunk, if you'll pardon the. uh, I'm a truly dead drunk in the sense that. It really has no power over me. You can insert your own sin in there. I'm just picking on drunks this morning. Uh, but everybody has their own sin personality. The thing that really still reaches out and from that billboard of the world and grabs you. That thing that when put in front of you, you really struggle with. You might be sitting here this morning and say, Well, I gave up drinking. I've never drunk. You know, it's no big deal. There's something in your life, maybe many things several at least, that really are difficult for you. And the Bible says to you, hey, know that you're like a dead man. You're like a dead woman when it comes to that. Maybe it's just plain selfishness. Well, if you realize you are dead to self and alive to God, you will instead of responding by demanding your rights and defending yourself, you'll respond with forgiveness and forbearance and long-suffering and the like. And so in every situation, I had a dear sister uh, after first service. She says, you know what my big problem is? And I said, I I hope it's not me. Uh, She goes, no, no, I got over that. But uh, she said, my problem is road rage. And and she was confessing in a sense, you know, that she has this and that she's starting to understand that she can be dead to road rage, which is a good thing to be dead to uh, unless you're packing heat, you know, because there's always somebody who's more road rageous than you are, by the way. So, uh, you know, the thing is, many times daily, a Christian must choose, in a sense, which side of the Jordan River or we would say which side of the cross you want to live on. Then, too, there are various areas in my life where I may be living simultaneously on both sides. What I mean by that is I can have victory in some areas. I can be dead to sin and self in some areas, but still be holding on to other areas where I'm not really dead to sin, where I'm living in the wilderness, where I'm a little bit too worldly. The soldiers from the two and a half tribes... It's been suggested that they were more of an elite fighting force. And that makes sense when you read, I think there's like something like 173,000 total soldiers that they could have sent, that they only send 40,000. I could be wrong on that number, but it's a very small percentage of their soldiers. <clears throat> now, sure, they came to help in the fight, and that's great. But I would dare say that they enjoyed it. Here's what I mean. Sometimes people choose... Dangerous occupations because sure they want to help people and we're all thankful for that. But there's also not, I don't want to use the word enjoy, but there's a, there's a challenge there. There's a, there's an adrenaline rush there. There's something about it. You know, if you're a, 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 a fireman who we love and respect, you, you don't go to work hoping anybody's house will catch on fire. It's the last thing you want to happen because you've seen the horror and the tragedy. And, and you know, even if there's not loss of life, uh, it, it's just terrible. But you suspect that somebody's house is going to catch on fire from time to time. And we need firemen and firemen. You know, there, there is something about fighting that fire. There, there's a rush there. There's an excitement there. And we, we need people like that. Believe me. I go the other way when there's a fire. You know, somebody once said that a hero is somebody who is rushing in to the place where everyone else is rushing out of. And I'm and not just picking on firemen. You know, there are all a lot of professions and, you know, where people, they, hey, I hope I never have to do what I'm trained to do. But when it comes, I'm ready. And, and, and there's an excitement about it. And I suggest that these two and a half tribes were like, hey, yeah, we're soldiers. What do soldiers do? They fight. And so let's go, let's get it on, let's do this thing. Let's go over there and kill us some Canaanites. And there was an excitement to it. A lot of believers approach the Christian life that way. If it's something exciting, especially temporarily exciting, great, sign me up. But I don't really live there. Where I really live is in the wilderness of the world. Probably the, the biggest expression of this is when people... You've had friends and family, and maybe you've even said this before you're a Christian. You said, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He acts like a Christian on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week he lives, you know, just like everybody else. And this is kind of what I'm talking about in a sense in that there are areas of our life where we say, yeah, I want to do that. I'll volunteer for that. I'll go here. I'll go there. That sounds great because it has certain parameters, and I want to do that, and, and it's something that, you know, is exciting to me. But there's a whole bunch of the Christian life that's like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to really give everything. I don't know if I want to die to this part of my life, to my dreams and my desires and my goals and my future and my, 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 you know, and that kind of a thing. And that's so I think a lot of times a lot of Christians can be like these two and a half tribes. There's an excitement. I'm there, but I'm not fully there. As soon as that's over, I want to go back and live in the wilderness where I feel comfortable. I want to settle down on the wrong side of the Jordan. We can either stay dead or we can just play dead. Let's quit playing dead and stay dead. And what that means is that the Lord's going to have to show each of us, every one of us, those areas of our life. And we all have them where we still are on the wrong side of the Jordan. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a dream or a desire that you won't let go of. And God says, I want all of you. I died for you, you die for me. Because the man and woman who loses their life will in Christ find it. And so we need to get alone with God and find out what those areas are. The rest of the verses are about living the Christian life, being raised with Jesus. The second monument was raised up on the riverbank. Those 12 stones were a constant reminder of the power of God available at all times to empower their walk In the new land. Very simply put, we are empowered as Christians at all times to walk in newness of life. Once again, I would read Romans 6 4 that says, We were buried with him, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, even so we should walk in newness of life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you are enabled and empowered to walk in the power of his resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the dead. We died with Jesus, we also rose with him, and that just means that we have all the power we need, every resource we need to do what God wants us to do. The Israelites in Canaan are a type of you and I in Christ, and so our text rehearses their crossing and gives additional details about the monument. We don't need to reread the first eight verses. Uh, It basically retells the story that we had in chapter 3. Uh, just from the point of view of the monument. And what we see there in those verses, what we understand is that those 12 stones had been buried in the middle of a mile-wide riverbed under 150 feet of rushing water. Now they were on the riverbank. How did they get there? God's indisputable, marvelous power dammed up that water so that the children of Israel could walk across on dry ground, pick up a stone for each tribe, and bring it on the other side. And when you saw those 12 stones, you saw the power of God. You understood that God could do anything. And the Apostle Paul gets around to applying the principles of Romans 6. He says in Romans eight eleven, "...the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you." He who raised Christ from the dead will give your life, uh, give life, excuse me, to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. And that's just a way of saying that you are powerful, not powerless to walk in newness of life. You can live as if you were dead to sin and self and alive to God. And so in those moments when you and I are sitting there thinking how I wish I really could apply this being dead to sin and self I there's the sin it's right in front of me and I I would love to stay on the promised side of the Jordan and not go back to the wilderness but I'm just too weak I I just can't do it then the Lord would say wait a minute I rose from the dead there's nothing that I can't do I wouldn't tell you to say no to sin if it was impossible for you and those of us you know, who are Christians, we understand this. That is the nature of the struggle. There's a part of you that knows that you can say no. And then there's that that flesh that's been trained and there's the devil who stands by in the world system that's saying, oh, come on, it's too hard for you. One little sin, you know, you're pretty obedient in every other area and it's that struggle, be, you know, to, to stay on the promised side of Jordan to to stay in the power of the resurrection. And and sadly, so often in the Christian church and in the world in general, now people are undercutting this saying you don't have the strength, you don't have the power, you don't have the means, you don't have the resources without years of help and and uh, tons of medication and and all kinds of group therapy and all. And, And maybe someday you can have a small minor victory in one small area. But as far as the resurrection power, that, that's not enough. And, and I would say you need to, if, if we could, to go down to this riverbank and, and say, where did these stones come from? They were buried under 150 feet of water rushing by, and now they're on the shore because God is powerful. And that's the kind of power that's available to us. Verse 19, the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. They camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. The tenth day of the first month, uh, you would recognize that as the day that the Jews chose their Passover lamb. And then on the fourth day of that month, they would slay the lamb. It was 40 years to the day that they started celebrating the first Passover in Egypt. And now they had come out of that, over the Red Sea, through the Jordan River, finally living in the promised land. To us, it's a reminder that everything we're talking about is possible because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's final sacrificed Lamb who was crucified, died, was buried, but rose from the dead, that all these things might be true. Verse 20, those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Now, as we go on in the book of Joshua, Gilgal will become a headquarters during the initial phase of conquest. We'll see it as a place of retreat, a place of supply, a place of strategy, a place of communication with God. It's reminiscent of our devotional life with the Lord. Wherever and whenever you have it, that's our Gilgal. We should go there often. Then in verse 21, He spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land for the Lord, your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord, your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us till we had crossed over that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty and that you may fear the Lord, your God forever. The only way your children or your family or your neighbors or people in general will know the power of God is if you give a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do it through words, of course, but most profoundly we do it in our walk. We do it in that way that there's something different about a Christian who is saying no to the world and the things of the world, yes to the things of the Lord, with joy most people are familiar with christians who are saying no without joy and the the usual uh, slant on biblical christianity is that it's a bunch of kill joys that you know uh, people say i don't want to become a christian because i enjoy life Uh, i've seen you and i mean you're just dour and sour all the time you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice you know and stuff Everything is, no, I can't do this, I can't do that, we can't go there, you know, everything is, you know, we're, we're against everything, we're not really for anything. Well, that's not really true. We have more fun than anybody. We just do it as unto the Lord, we do it in the Lord. And, and what people need to see is, yes, the real difference that a resurrection life makes to you, and sure, there's things that, The world does that you don't want to do. Who would want to do that is the attitude that we have because you have something better, not something worse. You know, I remember years ago um, when Christian music was first starting, you know, Christian rock music. Larry Norman, who's now home with the Lord, he wrote a song and, and the title of it was, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Because, you know, kids were getting saved and they were bringing their music into the church and church people were like, you can't sing that music in church. That's devil music. And they were kicking people out of church because they wanted to, you know, play guitar or something like that. And some of that early Christian music, it's folk music is what it really is. I mean, it was like they thought it was rock and roll, but it's like folk music. It's really mellow. And stuff, but the idea is, yeah, well, yeah, why should the devil have all the good music? And that's what the normal person in the world thinks. Why should, you know, why do we have to give up everything to be a Christian? And, and you and I, don't you feel like you've gained something by becoming a Christian beyond eternal life, which is a pretty big thing to gain? If not, I mean, if you don't have a positive joy about serving the Lord, then there's something wrong with us. We ought, to, we ought to be the most joyful people. And, and yeah, yeah you know, you know, I don't really want to laugh at that joke. God, that's just so belittling. That's weird. What's the matter with you? you know, here, here's something. Let me tell you something really funny. And that kind of a thing. So we want to have that kind of an effect. But basically, you, you, get, the, you get the idea. You and I decide where we're going to live spiritually. We can live on either side Staying in our text here, we can live on either side of the Jordan River. We can live on the wilderness side, occasionally dying to self, occasionally dying to sin, occasionally serving the Lord, but for the most part still rooted and grounded in the world with our own ideas and interests. Or we can go across the Jordan in each decision and say, I'm not not going back. I'm not going to drop to that temptation anymore. I'm going to exercise the power of the resurrection life and say no to sin and yes to God. And we can continue to make progress in this promised land of biblical Christianity. Let's live on the victory side rather than on the wilderness side. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these things. We appreciate your people who went in and just trusted you, Lord, to get them across that <clears throat> giant river and, and, and then the, the enemies that they faced. We also see the, the compromise that some of your people made. And we understand, Lord, that these things are not easy, but they're possible. And we want to be those who are pressing forward, reaching to the goal, the prize of the high calling of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, We don't want to make our lives shipwreck, uh, as so many have uh, in times past, and even people that we know today. We want to continue, Lord, to stretch out forward. And so do that, we pray, and and I pray that we would uh, be filled with joy as we do it, that we would enjoy this Christian life of resurrection power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together spend some time on campus get to know folks minister one to another Um, love to see you on Wednesday night even if you don't normally come to our Wednesday night Ignite service uh, be a good uh, chance for you to come this week and just pray with us and minister together with us may God bless you uh, as you moment by moment remember what we've talked about this morning and it really is that kind of a thing it's like hey You know, I want to be dead to these things. Jesus died for me. Uh, I can be dead in him so that we might live together in the power of a resurrected life. Amen. God bless.